Well, have you uh, enjoyed quite enough of Paul? Paul the Apostle, not Paul Martin. <laughs> Don't anybody answer that to me, right? I, I haven't even started. But, uh, wow, we got a lot of the Apostle Paul this week, didn't we? Uh, most of his writings, just a lot of his letters. And so... Uh, there was uh, there was a lot we read, and, and it was interesting to me to be able to get that overview of Paul's writings and and to see them, uh, you know, in a way that I hadn't seen them before. I, I don't know that I've tried to read all of that in a week before. And by the way, I want to say to you that if if you are behind and you are feeling hopelessly lost. Uh, at this point in time, please do not despair. Keep trying. And uh, I don't know if you have listened to the readings, but uh, they are fantastic. And I will tell you something. It's one thing to read it yourself. But when you hear it read to you, the reader also puts their inflection and uh, perception upon the word. And so, as a consequence, you get yet another view. And uh, I did a lot of driving yesterday, so I decided to listen to all of the readings, just back to back. So I, I supersaturated uh, with the readings uh, yesterday. And I, and I have to tell you that um, I saw some things I had never seen before in listening to these uh, letters read. Um, because of the inflection, the way words were put together in the phrasing, it was like, wow, I never thought of that. But the interesting thing is, it rang true with my spirit that this was right, that this was the way that it was intended to be understood. And you, you realize these letters were actually read orally. Uh, nobody got a, you know, they didn't put out a bunch of copy from Tyndall Press or Biblica or something and hand them out in the churches. Um, they got one letter and Timothy or whoever the church leader was read it aloud to everyone. And uh, knowing Paul and, and knowing what they knew about him, if they did, uh, they would have given those inflections and those thoughts. And I thought, man... This is such a dynamic way to, to get the Scriptures. So, uh, I, I guess I say that to say, if you're feeling hopelessly behind, um, take your smartphone with you or put it on your iPod or whatever and uh, plug it into your car and take those portions you might have missed and listen to them. Um, the point is to get exposure to the Scripture. Uh, that's our goal. There, there's, there's no legalistic requirement here. We want you to read the whole New Testament. And by the way, we're halfway through. Uh, we're four weeks into this. Isn't that neat? Yeah, I heard some clapping back there. That's okay. Um, so we're halfway through and we're going on. Well, as I listened to uh, Paul's letters and I, and I read in Paul's letters and I thought about the things he was saying... I, I tried to think, how can I capture his, uh, the essence of what he was saying? How can I put that into one message? All of these letters. My goodness, I preached two years through Ephesians one time. So, how can, how can I put all this into uh, just a, a single thought and a single message? And um, I, I felt 
like I should focus on one of Paul's prayers because it, it captures the essence of Paul's desire, not only for the church uh, at Ephesus, but it captures his desire for all of the churches and all believers. And, and this prayer um, kind of lists to God the yearning that he has for every Jesus follower to truly grasp. And that's the prayer that's found in chapter 1 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 15, or page 1, the last paragraph on the page, uh, if you happen to be looking at the, um, the Biblica New Testament uh, uh, books. And as Paul begins this prayer, I, I want to tell you, um, I have a tendency to write long sentences. <clears throat> I still have a tendency to write long sentences. Um, I used to have a tendency to write even longer sentences. Uh, and when I was in college, I wrote very long sentences. And uh, I re- remember one of my uh, professors saying to me, Paul, you've got to use some periods occasionally. I mean, you've just got to break these things up. <laughs> you get tired reading them. You've got to do something about this. And I would have clauses, independent clauses, and uh, parenthetical, all kinds of stuff going on, you know. And, and, and I said, but the Apostle Paul did it. And he said, you're not the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and you're not writing by inspiration, so shorten those sentences. Well, I want, to say, I want to say that because the prayer that Paul begins in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1, he starts a sentence. And you know where it ends? Chapter 2, verse 3. Arguably, verse 9. There is no end to this sentence. All the way into chapter 2. Now, I know you have periods in your Bibles. No matter which translation you're reading, they feel the necessity to put periods in there. Um, because it's like, we get tired of reading this sentence from Paul. This is such a long prayer. Um, you know, it's, it's like prayer meeting sometimes. You know, it's just going on and on and on. And we've, we've got to break this up a little bit. And so they put periods in there. And I wouldn't bring that up except there's one place where it kind of matters. And it just happens to be at the chapter division of all things. Um, that, that should not have uh, happened. But anyway, I'll get to that in a moment. But Paul uh, begins this, this prayer that is filled with, uh, with desire and passion for the believers. And he starts out by saying, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, and here begins his prayer, that God may give to you a spirit of wisdom... And knowledge, but I want to stop at wisdom for a moment. A spirit of wisdom. What is a spirit of wisdom? And, and particularly in distinction from a spirit of knowledge. Um, because he, he, he's asking for both. And if you think about wisdom, what comes to mind? 
Hmm? What? Proverbs. Okay, book of the Bible. Proverbs. Uh, somebody old, white hair, white. Not necessarily. Okay, good, good, good clarification. But um, you know, uh, the white hair is a crown of glory upon the aged. You know, so someone who's lived life. Okay, somebody, somebody who has some some insight into how to do something. Or, or maybe what not to do. You know, like Thomas Edison, uh, after, I don't know, it may have been the light bulb, but it was one of his inventions. He'd given it about a hundred tries and all of them had failed. And he said, well, I know at least a hundred ways it won't work. That's wisdom. You know, I mean, he's acquiring understanding and he, there's no point going back and doing that thing again. I need to move to something else. Wisdom comes with the understanding of the application of knowledge. Wisdom is how to put it to use. It's, I mean, you can have smart people that are dumber than a stump in practical terms. They have brilliant minds in certain realms, but they can't figure life out. And they're not very wise. And so wisdom is that capacity to apply what you know to a life situation so that you get a right outcome. You make a good choice. And in this case, Paul is praying that they could have a spirit of wisdom that will take what he's about to ask and show them how to use it. And then he says, and I pray that you'll have a spirit of knowledge. Now, this word knowledge, uh, by the way, uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, if Dr. D.A. Carson from Trinity New Testament professor were here this morning, um, he would take great issue with me uh, over making uh, a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, over uh, a word, um, some people think that every that that there are synonyms in the New Testament, even though they're significantly different in their spelling or whatever, that they're basically synonyms. And this is true of this word knowledge. Um, the the typical word for knowledge is gnosis, but this word here is epinosis. And a lot of people think it, it just came from a different area of, of the Greek culture and background. So it, it's the same thing. But I did a study on that one time of all the occurrences of epinosis in the Scriptures. And knowledge has several features to it. S sometimes knowledge is just simply getting it uh, intellectually. Sometimes knowledge comes from... Um, experience. Uh, I learned carpentry on the job. Uh, I, I realized I wasn't going to make enough money bagging groceries. <laughs> you know, I got married and I realized I had a bunch of new responsibilities and I needed to do something other than bag groceries. I think uh, the grocery store baggers made about two dollars and a quarter in those days and uh, uh, somebody uh, driving nails could make uh, well, three or four, five dollars in those days, and so um, 
I learned on the job. I had a foreman of a crew in our church, and he gave me a job. And I started out uh, the very first day. Uh, he had me cleaning out scrap lumber um, because the uh, the union required that the lumber be cleaned, and you had to have a laborer to clean the lumber. You couldn't use a carpenter. And the very first thing I did was stepped on a nail and had to go to the emergency room. That was my beginning. Um, I did not make that mistake again. My learning began right there. And over time, I developed sufficient skill to be a trim carpenter and cabinet maker. That didn't happen overnight. But over time, I acquired skill. And so one way to learn carpentry is to learn on the job. You can read a book about it, and you may still not know what to do when you walk on site and see a stack of lumber. But if you get practice, you've moved from intellectual perception to some experience. And if you've been doing it for a number of years, you've acquired enough experience to have epinosis more than casual experience, but richer, fuller experience. Paul, Paul is saying, this is what I want for you. There's a couple of things I want you to really get. And so I'm asking God to give you a spirit of wisdom. I want you to know how to apply what I'm about to pray. I want you to know how it works in your life. I want you to know how to put it into practice. And I want you to have knowledge of walking with Jesus that comes from rich experience. So that as you get to know Him and spend time with Him and walk with Him and and commune with Him and encounter life's difficulties with Him, and as you move along, you will gain understanding and experience and knowledge that will give you what you need to be a faithful, successful, effective follower of Jesus Christ. So you see, he's not just casually praying. He's, he's praying very intentionally. I want you to get this. And this is what he says, I want you to get. Why do we need this wisdom? Why do we need this knowledge? Well, Because I want you to know the hope of His calling. Now, what is that, the hope of His calling? We've talked about the idea that hope in Scripture uh, carries with it confident expectation. Remember we were talking about that last week or so, you know, if, if you're hoping the train will come... You're expecting, if you're sitting in a waiting room waiting for the train, you're hoping it, you're expecting it'll show up. Hope is that confident expectation that what you're waiting for, longing for, is going to happen. Hope is that assurance that what God has promised is going to be fulfilled. It does not necessarily refer to the future in the heavenly realm, in the heavens, in the heaven state. I've got to back up because the heavenly realm is right now, but the heaven, 
the state of being in heaven. It doesn't refer to that necessarily, but it refers to the confident assurance in my heart that what God has promised me is reality and that I can count on it and that it's sure and certain in my life. It's a hope that comes from our calling. God has reached out to us. He has called us. Remember, we're looking at all of Paul's letters. And and in Romans, he said, there's none that seeks for God, not one. So how did you find him? Well, you really didn't. (laughs) He found you. He came looking for you. He loves you. He called you. And you know Him and love Him because, we haven't gone there yet, but John says, He first loved us. And so God has come for you. He has called you to Himself. He loves you. And He has sealed you according to uh, even this Ephesian letter. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He has placed His Holy Spirit inside of you. He has uh, given you His own divine life inside you. You are His tabernacle, His temple, His tent. He lives in you. And... We are destined by His calling to spend eternity with Him. Do you know that hope this morning? Do you absolutely have confidence that no matter what happens, no matter what goes down in this life, no matter what you face, you are God's child. He loves you. He is with you. He is on your side. He is holding you up. And He will safely bring you to His heavenly kingdom. There's a guarantee of that. Friends, how do you apply that? This is the the confident wisdom and knowledge that enables us to go on in life when, when the rug is pulled out from under us. When our dearest loved one dies. When the tornado comes through and we climb out of the basement to find what's left of our home, a pile of sticks and rubble. When the floods destroy everything that we've owned, when disease racks our bodies, when we face opposition and persecution, when at that crucial time in life, when the medical bills have mounted and the debt has piled up and we're greeted Monday morning with a pink slip, And we don't have a job. Where do you go? Where do you stand? Do you know in that moment that you're His child? That you belong to Him? That He loves you? 
that nothing can separate you from his love. You say, but, 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 what about? And he says, I've got you. I've got you. And you'll get through this. And if you don't, I'll make sure you get safely to my heart. You can't really be hurt when he loves us like that. Do you know how to apply who you are in Christ to the circumstances that life brings? Do you know how to tie the knot of faith and hang on when you've run out of rope? Do you know how to cling to Him knowing that after the darkness there is a dawn and God's love is steadfast? And then He says, I want you to know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in us. We need to understand and appreciate all that Christ has given us in, all that God has given us in Christ. Do you recall reading that in the first few sentences of Ephesians? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What do you need today? What do you need? Do you need um, do you need patience? Do you need love? Um, do you need comfort? Do you need encouragement? Do you need faith to believe God for something impossible? All of these things are ours in Christ. If you need patience, you go to the Jesus box. If you need more faith, you go to the Jesus box. Someone has said, and I remember this argument many years ago when I was first discovering the power of the Holy Spirit and people are always trying to explain that the quote second blessing and, uh, you know, and then there are those who say, well, there's only one blessing. It's, you know, it's when you're saved. That's that's the blessing. Well, here's the reality. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ. When God gives you Jesus Christ for salvation and for life eternal as your Lord and Savior, it's like receiving a treasure chest. And in that treasure chest of Jesus, when you open the lid, There are riches and jewels unimaginable. Everything you need for life and godliness, all 
you need for wisdom. Every decision you face, every struggle you have in your emotions, every uh, crisis that, that you um, come up against, in the Jesus box there is a blessing in the heavenly realm that you can take out of the box and by faith appropriate. And that's how you do it. You go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, you are my, my patience. Jesus, you are my power. You are my love. You are what I need today. I take you. And you have this thing I need. I don't need the thing. I need you. I want you. Paul says, I want you to understand that. I I want you to get that you have been invited into Jesus Christ and you are a child of God and He loves you the same as He loves Jesus. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He He has given us... Can I say this? I can, but will you hear it? He has given us equivalent status. There are some who think Jesus is so far removed, He's so way out there that I can't even talk to Him directly. I I can't even talk to God directly. I've got to go through uh, somebody else to intercede for me. And I've got to talk to... uh, Maybe His mom can influence Him somehow. I've got to get to Him through some other means. And God says, when I look at you, I see My Son. You have the same authority. You have the same um, presence in my life. You have the same name as my Son. I have made you my child. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, partakers of the divine nature. We are given everything in Jesus Christ that we can go to the Father's throne and boldly say, Father, in the name of Jesus, This is what I need. And you know what? Don't worry about what you're asking for. If you're asking for the wrong thing, and you're sincere and genuine, ah, you thought I was going to say you'll get it. No, some of you know better than that. No. If you're asking for the wrong thing, and you're sincere and genuine, and your heart is open before God, He'll fix you. He'll straighten it out. He'll tweak it. You just keep asking and keep listening. And He will steer that into something that is appropriate for you. What father, if he loves his child, is going to, when he says, uh, Dad, I, 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 need a, I need an egg. Well, I think I'll give him a scorpion see how he likes that. Now, sometimes we come and ask for scorpions. Well, that's an intriguing little critter. It's got these little things on the front, you know, and it's a thing in the back. And I, that might be fun to have one of those for a pet. God's not going to give you that. But He will steer you rightly. You follow what I'm saying? We're His child. He loves us. We have access to Him. Jesus said, what you ask in my name, 
before this time you've not asked anything in my name. Come and ask in my name. We have that authority to come in the name of Jesus. We have the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us. By the way, um, I was tempted to go on a on an intentional rabbit trail with the word glory, and I realized yeah, I'm going to have to wait for another message for that because glory is a really big word. But it essentially shows off God. It, it just makes God shine. And, and when we're in tune with Him and we're moving with Him and we're asking and He's working in our lives, He shines. People say, wow, how do you do what you do? How do you manage? How do you... Jesus. I have Jesus. And he says, and I want you to know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. Now, this is where the sentence gets long and convoluted, and and I'm just going to stop for a second. But all the power of God in the universe is available to us in Jesus Christ. Now, I am not saying that it's unfiltered. And I am not saying that you have power. Now, this is, this is something we need to get. God has the power. I don't have any power. But I have been adopted as his son. And so, therefore, when I come to him, all the power of God is available for whatever my situation is. And Paul says, the most powerful thing I can think of in all the universe that demonstrates the greatness of this power is that which occurred when God raised Jesus from the dead. There is no greater demonstration of power in all the universe than that. You say, wow, wait a minute. I've seen pictures of the Hubble telescope and looking at the universe and how God made the universe. That looks pretty powerful to me. Black holes look pretty powerful to me. Uh, space is phenomenal. Um, the, the power uh, of the atom is, is uh, incredible. Particularly when you split it or fuse it, it does powerful things. I I can't think of things more powerful than His creation. But the reality is that God created a perfect universe and a perfect world and a perfect couple. And the enemy, Satan, that devil, that old deceiver, uh, came into the picture and deceived the man and the woman and destroyed, uh, in essence, what God, all the beauty that God had made, not all of it, but substantially altered it, and made a mess of things, and held God's precious creation, of which you and I are the crowning mark of His creative power. Uh, We beat anything the Hubble telescope has ever seen. Human beings are amazing, they're wonderful, they're phenomenal. Uh, what goes on inside of us is, is absolutely astounding. Just the physical component is astounding. And then on top of that, we have this 
uh, non-material essence of our lives. It is the real us occupying this body and, and the interaction and all of it. And it's like, wow, as David put it, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we, we look at that and we say, this is phenomenal. But we are in bondage to sin. And as a consequence of that, we are in bondage to death because the soul that sins will die. And... and what is it that can alter this terrible consequence? Jesus Christ took all of our sin on the cross. All the sin of the world. All the sin of all the ages. All the sins of all the people. Clung to Him on the cross. And He died for those sins And in the bearing of those sins, He was buried in death. And the devil knew. I've got Him now. If I can just keep Him down. If I can just keep Him down. I win. And so on the morn of the resurrection... All the assembled host of hell, all the demons, all the evil angels, Satan himself, every wicked power in the universe was gathered in one place to keep Jesus in the tomb. And when God raised him up, he did not even blink as he passed through them in triumph. They could not hold him down. What can come against you that is greater than that moment? What can you ever face that would marshal all the host of hell to oppose you? What could you ever be up against that is worthy of the devil's personal presence and all the wicked demons? The whole earth would have to go to peace as they all left, all the other people, and showed up at your doorstep. And God doesn't even get short of breath dealing with them. In a moment, the foe is vanquished. And we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Paul says, I I, I want you, I really want you to know this power. Because it's available. Every situation of your life, this power is available. The mighty power of God is accessible to you. And whatever He wants to do in your life, He can do, and nothing can stop Him. He has all power, all authority. God raised Him up and seated Him in His own right hand at that focal center of the universe and and seated Him there in heavenly realms, far above every principality and power and name that is named in heaven and on earth. And all the wicked hosts of hell, Jesus sits above them and they're beneath His feet. And this is where that terrible interruption of chapter 2 occurs. 
Because the sentence continues, and you, and you, being dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly worked according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and you has he raised and seated you with him in heavenly realms. You say, I'm sitting here this morning. Now, don't you mean when I die? No, I mean right now. Right now, this is not a place, this is a realm. If you're an ambassador of the United States in a foreign country, you are empowered with the executive authority of the President and the State Department. When you speak out of the office of the ambassador, you speak for the United States with all the authority of the government of the United States behind you. You don't have to be here to use that power. It's not a place, it's a realm, it's a position of authority. And God has raised you and seated you with Christ in that place of authority. And we are His and His ambassadors. And we have that capacity to invoke His presence and His power in the name of Jesus. Because we are seated with Him above the wicked host of darkness and all the heavenly realm. Not a place, a position. Who are you that comes against me? I'm Goliath. I'm the armies of the Ammonites. I'm the Roman Empire. I am a son of Almighty God in power and authority seated with my Lord Jesus Christ and in His name I command you. That's who we are. Do you believe that? Paul says, I want you to get it. I really want you to get it. I want you to have a spirit of wisdom And I want you to have a spirit of knowledge. I want you to get this. It's important. I want you to see it. When you go through this life and get dinged and and banged and oppressed and hurt and wounded and all the things happen to you, don't forget who you are. Don't forget where God's taking you. I don't mean to inappropriately in any way in any way to minimize or to excuse our dear brother Todd's circumstances today. But I did not realize until I stood up to pray for him this morning that God is using him in his weakness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't lose with a God like that. All power is His. Do you know that? Can you glory in that? Can you praise Him in that moment? Paul and Silas, they're thrown in a dungeon, chained to a wall. It's damp and it's musty and moldy and 
it's horrible down there and they've been beaten besides and they've got open stripes and wounds on their back and at the midnight hour they began to sing praise to God that they were considered worthy to suffer for His name. And an earthquake comes and the jail is shaken and their shackles fall off and the doors rattle open. And the jailer who thinks he's reached the end is suddenly meeting Jesus and all of his family. And everyone is transformed by the power of God. You do have a choice when you're chained to a wall in a basement, by the way. You can mumble and moan and weep and cry out, Oh God, why'd you forget me? I love you. Why'd you let this happen to me? I don't deserve this. Or you can praise Him. That's your choice. But His power is in the dungeon. Paul says, I want you to get it. And Paul knew what he was talking about. He says, I want you to get it. I want you to understand it. I think this prayer of Paul covers... His heart's desire for all the believers. If we could only get a hold of these realities, who we are, where we are, who lives in us, all that's available to us, all the power that belongs in Christ Jesus that is accessible to us in Him. Man, if we could only understand it. I pray you'll understand it. I pray you'll have wisdom to know how to apply it. I pray that you will be a victor in Christ Jesus who loves you. Lord, we thank you this morning. Paul got these things. We need them. We need to understand. We need to to know how to apply. We need your grace. Open our eyes this morning to see the truth. In the name of Jesus. Amen.